0: Good morning. Welcome, everyone, to our morning worship service. Before we get started, let me go through three announcements. The first is that the women's Bible study is resuming tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here in the church library. They'll be going through Hebrews. If you're interested in being a part of that, please please come. The second announcement is that our midweek gathering on Wednesdays, Is starting on January 31st. That's the last Wednesday in January. So, not this coming week, but the week after. We would love for you to come for a good meal, fellowship time, and learning from God's Word. Lastly, if you're part of the marriage workshop, we're going to meet this Wednesday night and we're going to have a hot meal this time um, from my request. So, if you're part of that, we're looking forward to a good meal at least, at the very least. Um, If you haven't come to that, this will be the last time we meet, but if you still like to come for the last time, um, just talk with me and we'll get you what you need to be a part of that and enjoy that. Um, That's all we have to announce this morning. Let's take a few moments to ask God to still our hearts and our minds so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth this morning. We'll do that now as the music plays. I invite you to stand for our call to worship from Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 17 through 25. Hear God's word. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul Who seeks Him. Would you please pray with me? God, we are here because you brought us here. We seek after you because you have given us your Spirit to seek after you. So, God, we pray that as we are here gathered to worship you, that you would lead us by your Spirit, that you would show us again in a fresh way your gospel, that you would show us again how truly great and holy, majestic and caring, and loving, and gracious you are. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would do these things uh, through this service, through this week, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing our first hymn, which is hymn 32, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's sing hymn 32 together. would remain standing, we'll take our bulletins and we'll confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. And something I try to say every now and then is when we read things like this out loud together, there are imperfections. And that is good because we're together as one body. We don't say these things perfectly. Um, we are sinful people, and so we God humbly. So as we read through this, uh, embrace the differences in how we all say it, uh, because God has brought us here to do that. So if you would, believer, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Our reading is from the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. If you would like, you can turn there in your Bible. After we read this, uh, we'll go into a time of prayer in which we'll base our time of prayer on this passage. So hear God's word from Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. In showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we go into our time of prayer in which I'll lead us, we'll go into a time of prayer individually and silently. Um, We don't always do this on Sunday mornings, but it's a time in which we have just a brief moment of somewhat silence and peace to go before God with whatever is on your heart, whatever is on your mind, whether it be sin that you would like to confess, repent of, and ask God for help with, or whether it be things that you are anxious or worried about. We'll take those to the Lord at this time, and then I'll lead us in prayer. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, we come before you in prayer as one body. We present ourselves with all of our faults as living sacrifices to you this morning. You alone are altogether holy. You alone are altogether powerful. You know past, present, and future. and You possess the power to form the universe at the word of your power. And by your mercies, you've called us to be one body in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would call this to mind, that we're preparing for eternity with one another. Help us to believe and live by faith that we belong to one another in order to encourage, to build up, and strengthen one another in our suffering and our temptations. We pray that you would make our love for one another genuine, not self-serving that you would give your people at First Presbyterian Church brotherly and sisterly affection while we see each other trying to outdo one another in honor. Lord Jesus, you showed us in your life, death, and resurrection what it means to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. And when we read in the Gospels how your disciples fell asleep when you asked them to pray, we relate to them. You know our frame as well. Lord, we're prone to weariness. We're prone to a desire for sleep rather than zeal, for comfort over tribulation. God, as even though you know this is true of us, you don't look at us in anger. You look at us in love. You have pity for your people. You're praying for us constantly. Even right now, you're praying for each one of us in our tribulation, and in our service. This is the grace and love that motivates us, that causes us to encourage others in this grace. Father, we can think of many people, especially here this morning, who have endured tribulation of various kinds this week, whether it be a broken pipe or crushing depression that makes it difficult just to get out of bed, Or canceled schools, which is a joy for our young people, but is a complex difficulty for our parents. Much of these difficulties, we may feel like they're not worth sharing with one another, as if they're so a part of our life that we accept them and move on. But Lord, you remind us that we are members one of another. And if one part of the body is hurting, all the body hurts with them. And God, we learn through your word, that there is no pain too small, there's no difficulty too common, that the words and prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ would not bind up and mend. So Lord, in each of our roles this week, we pray, as your body, that you would give us joy in fulfilling your calling in this broken world, in this life With tribulations and trials and difficulties and sorrow, Lord, would you live out of each of our lives so that those would know to whom we serve and to whom we live. So God, we continue to pray that you would bless this time of worship, that you would help form our hearts as we go out into this world after today, living for your glory. We pray now the prayer that you taught your disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand once again for our next hymn. It is him 180 I will sing the wondrous story. let's sing him 180. Mm-hmm. may be seated at this time we'll take our uh, morning tithes and offerings and we do this by faith we give as God has called us to give to his church and to his kingdom work so we'll do that now as the music plays Please pray with me. God, we read in Philippians how you will supply every need of ours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, God, as we give our tithes and offerings, which often may seem like we're giving up a lot, you have shown us in your riches of grace that there is far more to be gained in you and through you, and that you will supply for all of our needs. So, Lord, as we give, would you strengthen our faith? Would you strengthen our desire to be generous for your kingdom work? And would you use these tithes and offerings for great things, for your glory, and for your name? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
1: I'd invite you to turn with me now to the 42nd Psalm, Psalm 42. Psalm 42, hear God's word. To the choir master, a maskel of the sons of Korah, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, send your Holy Spirit now. For the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, we're in a little mini-series right now on the subject of worship, and I planned this week on talking about the subject of the call to worship. Why do we do a call to worship to begin a service on Sunday mornings? But a line of thought from our passage kind of captured my thinking this week to the point that... I wanted to orient the sermon around something else. So we're going to talk about the call to worship kind of through a side route, and that is basically this. We live in a world of competing voices that are always trying to get our attention. There are voices outside of us and inside of us that are trying to guide us away from our true purpose and who we really are. And the call to worship... It's like a director of a movie saying, cut. It's calling us into the end of whatever was going on when we were outside of those doors to something new that's going to happen while we're inside these doors. So I want to talk about those competing voices. I want to personify them as roommates who are always around, who are always trying to get our attention, and who sometimes we need to just kick out of the house. Uh, because they're troubling us, because they're causing us anxiety and, and problems. So let's talk about these roommates, these competing voices in three points. We're going to talk about the external roommate, the internal roommate, and the voice that really matters. So number one, the external roommate. So this psalm gives us several clues. We don't know exactly what's happening to the writer of this psalm, but it gives us several clues where he is geographically located, and what he is going through to a degree. So as far as the geography, verse 1, he mentions a deer panning for flowing streams. Verse 4, he mentions longing to be back at the tabernacle or temple. So we know he's not in Jerusalem. We don't know why he's not there, but he he wants to be there, and he's not. And then verse 6, he says he remembers God from the land of Jordan, and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. And then finally, verse 7 mentions deep water and waterfalls. So here's how the commentator, Patrick Henry Reardon, summarizes the scene that inspired the psalm, putting that all together. The poet is gazing at a formidable scene of rugged rock formations with thundering cataracts of cold, clear water cascading down from pristine mountain springs and melting snow. He stands on the stony ascent of the Golan Heights at the sources of the Jordan River from which he looks up and sees nearby Mount Hermon, the loftiest peak of the region. No sound is heard but the loud pounding and roar of the rushing stream. Some deer come to drink from an eddying pool of fresh water. This stark yet glorious scene before him becomes a sort of picture of the poet's very soul, simultaneously yearning and tumultuous, full of both dereliction and desire. So, imagine a waterfall pouring down and into a a ravine, a stream, a pool of deep water. It's beautiful, but it's also loud. It's also tumultuous. That's, that's the point that he's making. And, and the psalmist looks at that situation, uh, the beauty, but also the tumultuousness and says, that's kind of what I'm like on the inside. I've got this longing for God, and that's beautiful, but I'm, I'm also kind of tormented. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm depressed. And so what he's doing is he's taking this image of, of the waterfall And he's internalizing it. And he's saying, that's me. He's also internalizing his circumstances. We don't know the context, but it's clear the psalmist has enemies who are out to get him. Verses 9 through 10, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me continually, where is your God? So notice he says, one, that he is mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. And notice, secondly, that he says his enemy's taunts are like a deadly wound in his bones. The Hebrew literally says that these taunts are like slaughter or murder in his bones. And the word translated bones is a strange word. It's an interesting phrase to translate. It can mean bones, but it can also mean just substance—the thing that you're, the thing that you are made up of. It's used in the Book of Exodus to describe the substance of the sky. What's the substance of the sky? It's the color, the clouds, the sun, the moon, the stars. It's the things that makes the sky, the sky. And so the psalmist is saying the things that make me, me, my, my insides feel like they're filled with murder and slaughter because of what my enemies are doing to me. So here's the point. You can take your external circumstances and internalize them so deeply that you get lost in them. They become like a roommates living inside your head that you can't escape. So how does that work? Michael Singer uses the analogy of watching a movie. Movies depend on you suspending your disbelief. When you see an actor on the screen, you're not supposed to think about who that person is in real life and all their personal stuff that they're going through. They want you to suspend your disbelief and believe that they're actually the character that they're portraying. And these movie makers, they want you, as you suspend your disbelief, to get lost in the story to the point that, you know, if a character that you've invested your your mind in, your emotions in, is in danger you feel in danger. You start to feel their anxiety. You start to feel their fear. I mean, the whole horror genre is built upon this premise that you get catharsis through this character that you're watching who's trying to escape whatever danger that they're facing. So they, movie makers, want you lost to the point that you're completely invested, that the movie has totally taken over your psyche and nothing else is present in the world while you're watching it. This is a quote. Singer says, Once the movie gets control of your thoughts, it's over. There is no you in there saying, I don't like this movie. I want to leave. That would take an independent thought, but your thoughts have been taken over by the movie. Now you are completely lost. How will you ever get out? Well, you get out when the movie's over, when the experience is over. As long as the movie is playing and you're internalizing it, you're lost in the movie. The same thing happens with external circumstances. What's happening out there, outside of you, is like, it's like the movie. And sometimes you can't separate yourself from it in here. So you can't separate what's happening out there from what's happening inside your soul. For instance, it's been cold, right? What do many of us do when it starts getting really cold? We say we are, Every time we go outside, it's cold. It's cold. Why do we say that? What function does that serve for the betterment of our life for us to say it's cold when it's patently obvious that it's cold outside? We're internalizing the cold. That's what we're doing. And you can internalize the cold to the point that your internal soundtrack becomes, I can't do anything. I can't wash the dishes. I don't even want to get out of bed today. I'm sure not going outside of the house. You're taking something that's external and you're internalizing that cold to the point that you're becoming cold on the inside. So how do you deal with that? When bad things are happening around you and you're tempted to internalize it, how do you stop from internalizing it? Well, you say, the cold never bothered me anyway. That was for our Disney fans anyway. No, that's not exactly what you do. So I saw a clip the other day. From Gutfeld of all places, and he had a panel on the show talking about politics, of course. And again, of all people, Dennis Miller was on there. And I grew up, you know, watching him on Saturday Night Live, and he's one of the panelists. And the subject comes up that Dennis Miller, though he used to be, you know, political pundit, has kind of withdrawn from the political scene and has just admitted he's just not keeping up with things the way that he used to. And the panel, you know, somebody on the panel asked him why. And this was his answer. And I thought this was pretty profound. He said, basically, all of my life I've been living from the outside in. Uh, But I've realized now with with the rise of the Internet and the constant news cycle and the like, there's just so much outside. There's so much out there that if I try to take it all in, it'll just flatten me. And so he said, I've made a decision. I'm going to start living from the inside out. I'm going to start focusing on myself those who I'm close to, and living out of that, rather than trying to take all this stuff in. And so the the first panelist who speaks up in response to that says, What is this, PBS? Uh, This is Fox News. That's too intellectual. What are you talking about? We're here to talk about politics. And they just the panel starts ranting and raving again about everything that's going on in the world. It's a perfect illustration of what we're talking about. They've taken all this stuff and they've internalized it to the point that they're just raging all of the time. And Dennis Miller is trying to say, I'm tired of that. I'm just tired of raging. And so he sits there quietly as they continue uh, to rage. See, that's what Dennis Miller is trying to do. He's saying, I'm turning the movie off. I'm not going to let external circumstances just capture me to the point that I get lost in them. Now, let's look at how the psalmist does the same thing in our passage he has a chorus that he repeats to himself. He says it in verses 5 and 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. That is the psalmist looking at the movie of his external circumstances, seeing himself get lost in them, and saying, Cut. I don't want to live this way. And so he starts speaking to himself. Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? That is him disconnecting himself from what's going on out there and connecting himself to his hope in God. So John Calvin, in his commentary, makes the point that the fact that this phrase is repeated here, and it's repeated again in Psalm 43, is showing us that we need to make a habitual practice of challenging ourselves and calling ourselves back to God, back to our ultimate... Hope. Throughout history, Christians have done this in all sorts of ways. Many of the church fathers used what came to be known as the Jesus Prayer. They would find themselves anxious or in some situation, and internally they would say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, and it would call them back to their hope. Many Christians have used the Lord's Prayer for this purpose throughout the centuries. Billy Graham used the 23rd Psalm. He said every time in his life he was afraid. He would pray the 23rd Psalm. But we need to have some kind of chorus for our lives that can call us back to our hope in God on the inside when external circumstances are trying to capture us and we're tempted to be lost in them. It's a reminder. It's a way of saying, cut. I'm going to go back. Yes, this seems very real out there, but God is most real. And I'm going to reorient my focus back on him. All right, so this external roommate is all of the circumstances, all of the things around us that we're tempted to pester, let just pester us and harass us. And we're saying, with the psalmist, we have to have ways to not get lost in our circumstances, ways to call us back to God. That's one, the external roommate. But that leads to another problem if you're calling yourself back inwardly in your soul, communing with God, uh, do you really want to be in there? Because I know my head, and I don't want to be there a lot of times. So how do we deal now with, if we're going to go internal and commune with God, how do we deal with the inside? The internal roommate, as I'm going to call it. That's point two. So if you look at what the psalmist is doing here, he uses the word soul, nefesh in Hebrew, six times. His soul pants for God, verse 1. His soul thirsts for God, verse 2. He pours out his soul, verse 4. He questions and speaks to his soul, verse 5. His soul is cast down, verse 6. And he questions and speaks to his soul again in verse 11. It's clear there's an inner battle going on here, an internal struggle. Robert Alter, uh, the Hebrew commentator, translates... The word soul, my very self, and so that paints the picture that at the core of who this psalmist is, his very self, the deepest part of himself, there's this battle raging on. There's an old saying that people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. And the psalmist is showing us that your thoughts can declare war on your soul. Your thoughts can declare war on your very self. Your thoughts can take over if you let them. Your thoughts can enslave you if you let them. And so we've got to learn to deal with this inner roommate. I want to give you an example of how thoughts can damage somebody. It's one of the most powerful ones I've ever seen. I've spoken of her. You've heard me speak of her several times in our time together. But Lucy Grayley, who wrote an autobiography of a face, she had jaw cancer as a child. And in her book, it's a memoir, she recounts the the trials and tribulations she went through as a child, suffering with a deformed face and a disease that could have taken her life as well. So on a trip to uh, get some tests at the hospital, Lucy is crying. She's scared. And her mom says to her, don't be afraid, don't cry. Very simple thought, very simple Command, Don't be afraid. Don't cry. And here's what Lucy Grayley writes about her mom saying that. Sometimes the smallest thoughts capture us, force us to take them in, and deem that we demand that we live the rest of our lives in reference to them. What did my mother mean? Part of me knew then, and still knows, that she was afraid for me. If somehow she could convince me not to be afraid, we could rally around the truisms she had grown up with. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. My mother didn't know how to conquer what I was afraid of, nor could she begin to tell me how to do it myself. So out of her own fear, she offered her own philosophy, which meant in this instance that I should conquer my fear by not crying. It was a single, brief sentence, a fleeting thought, she probably didn't mean and doesn't even remember saying it. But I, who would have done anything to find a way out of this pain, would never forget it. As I made my way downstairs to my room, I vowed to never cry again. This is adult Lucy going back to 12-year-old Lucy saying, My inner soundtrack has, track has been, Do not cry. Do not cry. Do not cry. That's what the roommate's saying. What's the problem with that? It meant that over the course of her life, she would do anything not to cry, which led her to heroin, to numb the pain, which led to her untimely death, just barely 40, if I remember correctly. That inner soundtrack, what's going on, that internal battle up for your very self, it matters. It's a life or death She took what her mom said, she took it in, she said it captured her, and she lived the rest of her life in reference to it. Here's the question in this point. How do you stop taking your thoughts in so deep to the point of being captured by them? Here's the first thing. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to orient your life around that thought. The psalmist has a thought. God has abandoned me. My soul is cast down. But he questions that thought. He challenges it. He says, why are you cast down? Hope in God. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to orient your life around that thought. Here is one of the most important things I have learned in the couple of years. I am not my thoughts. I have thoughts, but I am not my thoughts even if they happen inside me, I don't have to take them all the way into my very self, to the depths of of my soul, to the point that they capture me and force me to live in reference to them. Most of my thoughts aren't worth listening to. Most of my thoughts say nothing about who I really am. Most of my thoughts are just noise that I don't need to take in. You are not your brain. Scientists and psychiatrists, M.D., uh, Jeffrey Schwartz, wrote a book called You Are Not Your Brain that I picked up a while back. And he makes the point, you know, your brain is always sending you signals, but it's not the same thing as your mind. I mean, your brain can start saying it's cold, it's cold, it's cold. But you can choose to say, I don't want to think about that, and I'm going to focus my mind on something else. Your mind can choose to dwell on the cold, or it can choose to ignore the cold. can choose to embrace the cold. Just because your first thought was, it's too cold to go to church today, or to do so and so today, doesn't mean that it's it's too cold becomes the 11th commandment. You don't have to take that in and orient your life around it. So, you are not your thoughts. You have thoughts, but you are not them. Here's a second, Captured by your thoughts that we need to deal with. Notice in the psalm that the psalmist is arguing as if he is two separate people. It's like two people or more exist inside of him when you consider that he's taken his enemies, the external roommates, in as well. Calvin says the psalmist sets himself up as if he's two opposing parties in one person, like a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. One is cast down and anxious and scared and wounded, but the other is communing with God and finding hope which one is the real him Michael Singer says it's like we all live with internal roommates you get those roommates going at each other and you can find yourself in a real internal war your soul can start roaring like a waterfall just because of the inner voices you're hearing in your head and what happens is just like you can get lost in the movie of your circumstances you can get lost in the internal dialogue that's going on inside your soul. You can get lost in your thoughts. That's, you've heard me say it a few times. The, the meme my kids came up with. Lost in Walmart. That is dad when he's walking around in the grocery store. But he's so lost in his thoughts. That he doesn't realize anything or anyone around him exists. That's when dad almost bumps into people. If you almost bump into me at Walmart. You can bet. Ba- I'm, I'm lost in Walmart. I'm, lo- I'm internally lost in my thoughts. And so Singer says... In order to break this cycle, to break that constant loop, you must objectively learn to watch what's going on inside of you instead of being lost in what's going on inside of you. And see, when the psalmist starts dialoguing with himself, that's what he's doing. He's saying, wait a minute, I'm lost. Let me pull out and start talking to the situation. Why? Why are you behaving like this? Why are you thinking like this? Why are you cast down? So again, Singer says, this is helpful. Do the mental trick. Try this. Try this, if if you dare. Do the mental trick this week of listening to the voice inside your head when you're not doing anything. And then analyze that voice a bit and its characteristics and personify it as an actual roommate who's living with you on the inside. And, uh, And ask yourself questions such as, if this were actually a roommate of mine, would I let it speak to me that way, or would we be in a fistfight and I kick it out of the house? You know, if this were my actual roommate, you know, could would I tolerate it behaving the way that way if it was an actual person? And you might find that that interval you know, it sounds different for everybody. Mine is this looping, constant. Got to do this. Got to do this. Got to do this. Got to do this. And I have to call myself back to the present constantly. I'm planning. Why are you planning? You're going to get your work done. Stop planning. Come back to the moment. That's then. This is now. Some, some people's inner voices may sound like, you know, your mom years ago saying, don't cry. And that's just on loop, loop, loop. Look at that inner roommate and ask, am I going to take that voice in, let it capture me, and force me to live my life in reference to it? You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones says what Psalm 42 is showing us is that one of the greatest problems we have is that we're constantly listening to ourselves when we need to be preaching to ourselves, he says, challenging our inner narrative with the truths of God. And so that leads to a final problem. If we listen to ourselves too much, what should we be listening to? What should we be listening to? If the outer roommates of our circumstances aren't trustworthy, And the inner roommates of our own thoughts mostly aren't trustworthy. What voice can we trust? Point three, the voice that matters. It's so simple, yet it's so hard to do. You just go back to the psalmist chorus in verse 5 and verse 11. Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. The psalmist is having a battle with the roommates. Here's the question. If there are voices inside of you that are conflicted and cruel, and there are other voices that are rational and calm, what is the real me? Is the real me, and I'm saying for me right now, the, is the real me prepared, calm, presenting the scriptures to you, as, or is the real me the chaotic person you should see in my office sometimes, whose mind is just spinning And racing and questioning myself and anxious and introspecting and self-loathing and all these things that we all experience. What's the real me? And the answer to that is, for all of us, if you are a Christian, the real you is the you that hopes in God. That is what defines your life. That's where the psalmist is driving his soul to get back to the real him, the him who worships God. You were created, and you exist, our catechism says, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And when you're relishing in the glory of God, and when you're enjoying the presence and the blessings of God, that's the real you. Everything else is just a roommate imposter. The real you is the you, as the apostle says, who has the mind of Christ. Everything else is noise. Now, some of you may not be familiar uh, with our closing hymn today. Lord, my weak thought in vain would climb. But I chose it because that hymn is basically saying the same thing the psalmist does in Psalm 42. It says, when my dim reason would demand why that or this thou dost ordain, by some vast deep I seem to stand, whose secrets I must ask in vain. He's saying, my reasoning can't... it, it can't fix it can't help me understand you it can't help me understand your purposes it can't help me understand why i'm going through the things i'm going through it's like some vast deep that's in front of me and i'll never you know fathom the depths of it he continues when doubts disturb my troubled breast and all is dark as night to me here as on solid rock i rest that so it seemeth good to thee be this my joy that evermore thou rulest All things at thy will. Thy sovereign sovereign wisdom I adore. And calmly, sweetly trust thee still. Here's the idea. His thoughts are spinning. His mind is disturbing him. He's plagued with doubts. But he says to himself, Calmly, sweetly trust in God. Simple trust. Frederick Buechner tells a story. He had a very ill... He was a minister and a novelist, great writer, uh, and a Presbyterian. And he had a daughter who was very ill. And Bigner was at his wits' end. And he drove to a cemetery just to get some quiet because he knew there wouldn't be a lot of traffic and to think and to collect his thoughts. And a car drove through that had a license plate on it that just said, trust He found out years later that it was because that car was owned by a bank. Trust. But in the moment, he took it as a word from God. You can't figure this out. As brilliant as you are, you can't figure this out. Calmly, sweetly, trust. Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. I will yet... Praise Him. You can't reason your way into calm, sweet trust. But here's what you can do. You can see Jesus Christ, and you can remember, when it feels like you're being cast into the deep, that He was already cast into the deep for you. When it feels like your bones filled with murder, He was murdered in your place. When you feel dry as dust, you remember on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst, because he was emptying himself for you. He was dried up under the heat of God's wrath so that you could have everlasting life. Hope in God. You believing that, that's your true self. Call yourself back to it. When you're trusting in that, that's the real you. That's the mind of Christ in you. That's the spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And if a child, then an heir. A joint heir with Jesus Christ, an heir of all of God's riches. It's all yours. Hope in God. You say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because you know he always will. You say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. My cup overflows. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Sometimes, Lucy Grayley says, the smallest thoughts capture us, force us to take them in, and demand that we live the rest of our lives in reference to them. Week in and week out, that's why we're called to worship by God. Because he wants us to say, cut. External circumstances, internal thoughts, whatever. And call us back to what's most important. And that's living in his presence, with his grace, with his love. Hearing the gospel that we forget week in and week out, as I like to say. Hearing it again. Being reminded so that instead of living letting, taking all that stuff in, letting it capture us. And living our lives in reference to it. Out there. Or whatever's in here. We can let the gospel. We can take that in deeply. Let it capture us. And live our lives in reference to it. Because that's the voice we can trust. Take that voice with you. And when the roommates start taking over. Say cut. And remember that voice. Let us pray. Father, why are our souls cast down? Why are they in turmoil within us? We hope in God. We will yet praise you. We're going to stand in just a moment and praise you again. In this festive celebration of worship, where you sit enthroned on the praises of your people. As Jesus Christ stands at your right hand, ever living to make intercession for us, because he loves us. Lord, call us back away from the voices of these roommates, external and internal, and back to the voice that matters, the voice of Jesus Christ saying to us, I love you. I gave myself for you. And I prepared a place for you so that where I'm going, you may go also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Lord, you have so much glory laid up for us. Let our hearts not be cold. Let our minds not be cluttered. let us live, always calling ourselves back to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which only can still our souls. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. And as I said, I know many of us may not be familiar with this closing hymn, but we're going to do our best to give praise to the Lord as, as we stand together and sing hymn 109.